Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wartime Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Dan Henry, CEO of Green Dot, a 20-year-old bank holding company focused on making modern banking and money movement accessible for everyone. And they recently launched GoToBank, a digital bank for Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Green Dot is far from being Dan's first rodeo. In fact, this is the third publicly listed company he's led in the last three decades. He previously served as CEO of NetSpend, a leading provider of prepaid debit cards, and led the company through its IPO and eventual sale to Thesis Corporation. And prior to NetSpend, he co-founded Euronet Worldwide, a leader in secure electronic financial transaction processing, where he served as president and COO from 94 to 2006. We talked about Dan's entrepreneurial and international fintech journey since the early 90s, what motivates him and why entrepreneurs are his favorite type of folks, two fundamental things he believes make a business successful, the evolution of fintech, why he came out of retirement to lead specifically Green Dot, what led him to launch GoToBank in January of 2021, and a bit about their go-to-market strategy, reflections for aspiring founders, remote work, and a whole lot more. And now join me in a really, really fun and fascinating conversation with Dan Henry. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Welcome. We're excited to have you here. Maybe we can get started by hearing a bit about your background and the road that took you to your current role. Thanks, Miguel. This is great. I really appreciate the, the time to be here and the chance to talk to you about, I'm a payments geek, so it's kind of my favorite topic. I guess I've been doing it long enough that I still call it payments instead of fintech. Being now the, the CEO of Green Dot, I can't think of a better platform that I've been fortunate enough to be able to have responsibility for just the collection of assets that we have at Green Dot. It's a dream come true for a payments entrepreneur. So super excited. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you here as well. So Dan, I understand that uh, Green Dot is not your first rodeo. You've definitely been around the block. Maybe you can take us through some of your career. I know that you've been an entrepreneur, and this is a podcast for particularly fintech entrepreneurs and I know our audience is going to be excited to hear how you turned something that was basically nothing and you turned it into something big. And, you know, maybe we can start there. I'd be happy to talk about that, Miguel. I'm, entrepreneurs are my favorite type of folks. I guess I've been an entrepreneur, you know, my whole life. I mean, like so many people probably listen to this podcast, you remember like cutting grass or whatever it was to make money. I've, I've really never gotten a paycheck is not one that's, you know, they all came from companies that I created or was, or was running. My, my first real foray into building a company of size was when I co-founded Euronet back in 1994. And so really just, I had no payments experience. I thought the acronym EFT stood for electronic financial transactions as opposed to electronic funds transfer. That gives you any indications. I was a dumb American who could only speak English. I didn't know anything about payments, but I saw that my partner and I saw that in Hungary, Budapest, Hungary, a country of 10 million people, they had two ATM machines. It was in 1993. 94, quit my job, took the savings. We raised a little bit of money. 
I moved over to Budapest and we started figuring out how to build an off-premise ATM network in Hungary. And then expanded that beyond Hungary into Poland and then into Germany and then on into, I don't know, 13, 14 countries in Europe as well as India and China. That was a 13-year run for me at Euronet. Just had some of the greatest experiences, um, met some of my favorite people in the world from all over the world. Very proud that Euronet, the co-founder of the company with me, Mike Brown, he's still at Euronet as the CEO. Company's thriving to this day on her most recent market cap, you know, five plus billion dollar market cap. Um, has well over 50,000 ATMs that it operates. And that's one thing I would share with this. I'll never forget a meeting I had very early on in those days of, of Euronet when I told an ATM, I won't name the company manufacturer, that we were going to have more ATMs than Bank of America. And he literally laughed at me, out loud laughed at me, together with you know, two or three of his other colleagues. And for the next four years, I never bought an ATM from that company. Bank of America at the time had 18,000 ATMs. You're on it today as well over 50,000. So it just for me, it's super satisfying to think about if you're passionate about what you're doing as an entrepreneur, you should have big dreams because that's the stuff that motivates you, I think, and your employees. How did you feel when that person laughed? Did it fuel you to work harder? Oh, yeah. It pissed me off. You know, and I, I always say like the two fundamental things to make a business or any enterprise successful comes down to people and focus. And I always hire attitude and intelligence when I'm hiring people. I've never had great experience with recruiters. I've always found people through just always being on, on the lookout for great people that I meet through my travels and all my interactions. And then I always ask people inside my organization, you know, birds of a feather. You ask your best people, do they know anyone? And that certain ATM manufacturer who laughed at us, who I swore I would never do business with again, they sent a salesman to me. He was a, he was a German and he was selling ATMs in Poland. And they assigned this guy to me and he wore me down after like nine months. And we finally bought ATMs from this company. And then I hired that salesman and he became the country manager for us in Germany and was one of the best leaders that we ever had in the company. So it's, anyway, I just like that story from a standpoint. If I look at the past of people that I brought into the organization that were really impactful to us, there's always interesting stories about how we came across each and every one of them. How challenging was it to scale a company across borders in countries that you didn't really understand the language with different regulatory frameworks, right? And then venturing into a new continent. I mean, that has to be challenging. It was super fun. It was hard. It was really hard. My advantage I didn't realize I had, I'm the youngest of four kids. So I am, I love to delegate. I am, I am the, as far away from a micromanager as you will find. I cannot tolerate um, people that I have to hold accountable. I like people that I need to empower. So for me, if someone didn't speak the language, I had to have complete trust in the people that I hired. And so I look for attitude and intelligence, communicate the goals and objectives, and then I was there to support and help the leaders. And that's kind of wired me to, at Green Dot, we have 1,300 employees. That means I have 1,300 employees I work for. It's my job to make sure that we have the objectives clearly set and established. It's my job to make sure we have the best people on the team possible 
And ultimately, in the day, it's my responsibility if we succeed or fail. Then, so you have led multiple organizations throughout time, but that also means you've seen the evolution of fintech, payments, financial technology, whatever you call it. And it's been a while, right? It's been over two decades. What's your impression of the industry? Has it evolved in a way that you would have predicted? My predictions really can't go much further out in just a couple of years. The speed and the evolution of technology, I think, is moving at such a pace that anybody who said 10 years ago they could have predicted it would have been wrong. I'll never forget a gentleman that we we now have at Green Dot, George Tomshow. He's our CTO. He was one of my IT managers years ago in, in Hungary. And it would have been 20 years ago that he held up his mobile phone, Nokia. I just couldn't remember the name. His Nokia mobile. Remember like Nokia used to yeah. rule the world, the mobile yeah, phone? Big and, ones. Yeah. He held up his, his Nokia mobile phone and he was trying to explain it to me. And after 30 minutes, he finally said, this is the point of sale terminal and the credit card in one. That was 20 years ago. And I can say that his prediction came true. And that to me is what's so exciting about payments is that when now everybody walks around with a computer in their pocket that's connected via 5G, the speed of that you know, allows so many new applications and opportunities in terms of payments and the movement of money that we really can't imagine uh, where it's going. But I do know that, that the pie is expanding dramatically and the, the room for you know, players and more successful companies is getting even bigger. Yeah, and it's and the game is global, right? Local companies, but global problems. So let's let's talk a little bit about Green Dot, right? This is, yeah. uh, you know, I understand that you came out of uh, maybe retirement, or you know, I don't know what you would describe it, but you you were definitely uh, you didn't jump from being a CEO on Friday to leading a new organization on Monday, right? You came specifically to Green Dot. So there's clearly a mission that you believe in. There's clearly a, a team that, as you just mentioned, that you care about. Tell us a bit about Green Dot and then your role at the company. Glad I can, I can tell you, I, I have failed miserably twice at retirement. Just not something I can do right now. So I had uh, come in and taken over NetSpend in 2008. It was acquired in 2013, I hung around for a year, bought by Total Systems, great people there. And um, I thought I was done. Um, I was actually on the board of Brinks for a while, which was really fascinating from a payments perspective of going from moving money electronically to then being on a board of a company that still moves physical hard cash all over the world. But the opportunity at Green Dot was just, as I mentioned already, just too exciting to pass up. The collection of assets that we have at Green Dot. To do anything in payments in the U.S., you have to have access to the banking system. Greenot owns a bank. So you can't have better access to the banking system as a payments company or fintech than owning a bank. We own a bank. We own a tech stack. We have a reload network. And that reload network, what that means is you know, we're wired into the point of sale systems of close to 90,000 bricks and mortar retail locations around the country. That's next to impossible to replicate. We have call centers and customer service expertise. We have fraud control expertise. We have all of these assets and resources. And then you add to that the partners that we have at Green Dot, Walmart, Apple, Intuit, Uber, Amazon, these mega consumer-facing companies. And then if you think, all right, where is payments going? And to me, it's all about 
ways that can we deliver safe, seamless, affordable banking and payment tools to the consumer. So if I, if I think about competition, our competition isn't other companies in our immediate space. Our competition is the consumer experience that consumers get from Netflix and Amazon and Starbucks. If we can't create the consumer experience around banking or payments or moving money, if we can't make it as seamless and easy as downloading a movie, we're out of here. And what I love about the opportunity is most of the entrenched players in the payment space are legacy financial institutions with legacy systems and lots of other overhead and practices that will make it hard for them to really aggressively compete. Yeah. And especially because the consumer now has a certain standard that they expect, right? You've mentioned all those companies with amazing user experience. And so I understand you have two important areas, right? You have the banking as a service vertical, which is, I guess, you know, something that's extremely important for Green Dot, right? And then you have also some plans ahead to become not just a banking as a service, but you're launching your own neobank, as I understand it, in 2021, right? So different businesses with kind of the same core. Can you take us through, maybe we can start with banking as a service and then we can talk about 2021. Okay. Well, I definitely want to talk about our own challenger bank because to me, that's so exciting and real near, dear to my heart. The banking as a service, you know, that is a strategy that I inherited when I arrived at Green Dot. And I'm working to tweak that strategy a little bit. We do so much more than banking for our partners. And when you talk about banking as a service, in my mind, that's like, well, you're giving access to your bank charter or your bin to fintech entrepreneurs. And I said, I love entrepreneurs and I love to support great entrepreneurs. Craig Lewis at GigWage, who I think was on your show recently, is one of those entrepreneurs that we love to partner with and support. But I'm an entrepreneur. And the strategy of saying, okay, well, we've got a bank. Let's just write APIs and let everybody write to those APIs and they can go build exciting companies and we'll just become a dumb commodity and let somebody use our bank. We're not doing that, especially in light of the partners that we have. So our mission here is to be able to reach tens of millions of consumers with embedded financial services to allow them to easily get paid, get access to their wages early if they need them, um, the ability to, to move money seamlessly with very little friction, P2P transfers to make payments, the ability to get credits, the ability to build their credit score, all those embedded services. And so I want us to be proactive with our partners of bringing these solutions to the consumer through these partner relationships. So that's what we're going to be doing here at Green Dot. We're not going to be sitting back waiting for the phone to ring and some partner say, hey, I'd like to add a savings account to this, that, or the other. No, we're going to be proactively working with our current partners and going knocking on the doors of other potential partners to say, we've got some real game-changing solutions here that only Green Dot can deliver because only Green Dot has the bank and the reload network and the tech stack and the customer service. I mean, there's major fintechs out there that they don't even have customer service. Think about that. So all of these assets that we have in place that we can bring together in one combined package and then say, you know, with our bank and our bank charter, we can do 
provide credit solutions nationwide and actually help consumers build credit scores and get through the days, et cetera. So that's, you know, I haven't given any real details, but I just want to kind of give you like the mindset change here at Green Dot is not, here's an API, come one, come all. You know, the mindset is, do you want to change the world together with us? Because we have some vision of how payments should be, and we'd like to work with select partners to really reach and serve our consumers. That's the bass side of things. On the challenger bank side of things, at my last company, I'd like to say we built one of the most successful neobanks, direct-to-consumer banks that were there. And so to do it again with GoToBank, this is just fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, I the team that we have built at Green Dot, I've certainly I've gotten some folks I used to work with last time around. We've all done this before. We know what really matters. We know how to price this product. We understand the low to moderate income consumer. We have learned things about these consumers that I think a lot of the players in the space now are just beginning to figure out. So our strategy around GoToBank and Green Dot, no one in this country has truly grabbed the banner to effectively serve the low to moderate income consumer. I mean, this is a huge passion of mine. If you think about what I did my first with Euronet, and Miguel, you, you've lived around the world. So you, I know you saw this firsthand of your time in Russia. All the former communist countries, they were 100% cash-based economies. And cash is super expensive to live your life in cash. And so my passion, my, one of my big passions about Euronet was to go to help facilitate the electronic movement of money inside of former communist countries to help rebuild those economies. Because if everything's in cash, you know, your M1 money supply can never expand. You've got to be able to digitize it to be able to get in the banking system and happily grow that. When I was shown the opportunity to net spend, I had no idea that there's 30 to 40 million Americans who were locked out of the banking system because they were in the check systems database. No idea. And so that's why when in net spend, I showed up and we had a prepaid card. What we found was, hey, there's 120,000 customers who took our card, signed up for direct deposit, and they've made it a bank account. That was the aha moment. Like, Wow that we can build something much better than a typical bank account for a low to moderate income consumer. To my knowledge, no neobank challenger bank that's out there today has in their directive, we are building this product specifically to serve the low to moderate income consumer. It's all about mobile first. It's about digital. It's about we're going after the new generation of consumer. Nobody still, nobody is really walking in the shoes of a low to moderate income consumer and saying, what does this consumer need? What they need is not a bank account. They need a transaction tool. They need a tool that gives them access to their wages, gives a tool that gives them information, what their balance is, gives them a little bit of extra help to get them through the week to be able to buy gas and groceries, gives them some credit, gives them the ability to build their credit score, answers the phone when they call and they have a serious issue, and doesn't treat them like, okay, well, you guys are kind of nice to have, but I'm really looking for the folks that are making $75,000 a year or more. Oh, and by the way, the other thing about GoToBank, we're a bank. We are a member of the FDIC. We are a true financial institution. We're not a marketing company. And so I, for one, am thrilled at the fact that we're actually going to be offering not a prepaid account to unbanked consumers. We're going to be offering a bank account, a direct bank account to low to moderate income consumers in this country. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And it's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned the international piece, obviously a big, big passion of mine. But, you know, for all the financial inclusion 
that is the whole wave that is still necessary in emerging markets. You know, you turn around and in a country like the U.S., you mentioned there are tens of millions of people that are still underserved or just not served at all. How are you approaching it? I mean, the, the U.S. is a big landscape, so we have your target market defined. How about geographically? Do you have any preferences? How, how are you approaching your go-to-market strategy? You know, it's funny how life works. I mean, I look back at my life experiences, you know, professional life experiences particularly, I feel so well prepared for this. I'm waking up every day just like ready to go at it because the thing I love about doing business in the U.S. is 350 million people and we all speak English and we all have the same currency and we all have the same federal laws and we all have the same, but you know, as opposed to trying to do business in Europe where you have Hungary with 10 million people, different currency, different language. Next door, you got the Czech Republic and above that, you got Poland. And so your economies of scale of doing business in Europe are so much more difficult than here in the U.S. And you know, with us owning a bank that can basically bank customers in all 50 states in the union, um, our ability to communicate. And then you add to that, you know, not only do we have a reload network, I failed to mention this in terms of our assets, shame on me. We have retail distribution. In those 90,000 plus retailers, okay, we not just allow you to, to add funds to your account, but we sell green dot products uh, on the J-hooks of those 90,000 retailers. So our ability, and there is a green dot location within three miles of 95% of the population in the United States. We're going to come hard and fast on this market and this opportunity. And the advantage that we have with all due humility is we know it works and we know it doesn't work. So we're not going to be spending time and energy making mistakes that, you know, frankly, we made six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And the stuff that we know that works, we're going to double down and we're going to push hard on that. We're going to grow this business. So then talking a little bit about the people, which I know is for you one of the core ingredients for a company's success, tell us about the culture at Green Dot and maybe, you know, tell us about the team. The team is really shaping up nicely. Just before this call, I was having a CEO lunch. So welcome to the world of work from anywhere and Zoom calls. And it's, actually, it's fantastic. So I, do, I try to at least one a week where seven, eight folks who basically do a Zoom lunch. So I'm able to talk to people across the board. And I kind of had the same question about people on that. Like, what am I looking for in people? And, you know, first and foremost, it's attitude and intelligence. That is the most important fundamental. And I mean, Miguel, you know, I learned this in my first job. I mean, what we do is not so difficult that you can't, you know, you, you can figure this out. But I can't teach your attitude and I can't teach your intelligence. So I always look first and foremost for that. You know, but Green Dot's been here for 20 years. And so we've got some incredible talent inside the organization. And I have continued to be, people say thank you and appreciate that I've kind of like unleashed the talent to where I am allowing people to, let's hear your ideas and allowing people to go chase, chase down opportunities and actually complete projects and get things done. What I am, as I'm thinking about building the company and you know, building a, a payments juggernaut, when I was first looked at this opportunity, I was looking at it in February, pre-COVID. And I'm thinking, not a lot of payments companies in Pasadena, California. So one of the challenges is how are we going to build you know, a great company with great talent where my recruiting pool is pretty limited? Now, thanks to what we've all learned through this pandemic, if we can work from anywhere, so anybody who's listening, if you want to be part of the next payment story of the decade, you can work from anywhere 
the green dot. So we're hiring from all across. If you're in the central and North American time zone, you can work for Green Dot without the need to relocate. And so what that has done for us, it has opened up such a larger pool for us to bring in new energy, new talent into the organization that I, I'm super excited about. And so you combine that new vision and, and new energy together with our, our existing team, and we got some real potential. That's super interesting. And you are clearly embracing remote work and the benefits that come out of it. I'm guessing it wasn't immediate, right? It's probably taking you a few months throughout the pandemic to fully come to terms with this. Oh, I doubt. I, <laughs> I felt the personal pain. If I, I had an apartment across the street from the headquarters. I paid rent on for seven months and never went there. <laughs> <laughs> I was fully expecting, hey, this is just going to last for 60 or 90 days. Shame on me. But then then really, like, I think everybody kind of got to at the same point. You know, everybody kind of calmed down and realized, all right, well, the sky is not going to fall and the world's not going to swallow us up. And then I started asking ourselves the questions like, rather than waiting for things to come back to normal, let's define the new normal. So what's the new normal for us here at Green Dot? And if we think about, you know, we've got concentrations of employees in Tampa and in Cincinnati and in Pasadena. We're now building concentrations of employees in Austin, Texas. But we've, you know, over the last three months, we've hired employees from, I think, 16, 17 different states. So I think about when I was first looking at this job, Miguel, I thought to myself, okay, I'll, I'll come out of retirement. I'll do this for about three or four years, and then I'll move to Montana. Now... I'm going to move to Montana and I'm going to do this for the next 15 years. And not just me, but you're so many other people in our organization that can come to our organization. I think that this is so empowering for everybody in the world to be able to have really the quality of life that it's going to afford so many millions of us. I'm super excited. This all sounds very, very exciting. And I love your energy and your passion. I think this whole interview is sort of a lesson of entrepreneurship, but if we can be like a little bit more specific, as I've mentioned to you, we have a very good base of listeners that are either current founders of series A, B, and C companies, aspiring builders, right? And people who are just entrepreneurial. So when you think back as to your experiences and also your experiences dealing with other successful entrepreneurs. You know, what are some of the main reflections that come to mind? For me, I mean, in addition to like companies I've been part of and if I look at, you know, Euronet, you know, every country was a standalone business and every country manager was an entrepreneur in their own rights. I hire entrepreneurs to be on my senior leadership team and have them run businesses inside the companies. So like some of the best entrepreneurs that I've worked with have been partners of mine in our companies inside of NetSpend, inside of your own ad and now inside of Green Dot. Between NetSpend and, and Green Dot, I kind of became an, an accidental venture capitalist. You know, hey, I got a friend, he's an entrepreneur, he's starting a company. And I look for, you know, the, the first questions I ask an aspiring entrepreneur or somebody who's looking for investment is fundamentally, what problem are you trying to solve? But more importantly, why? Why that problem? What is it about you, your life experience, your you know, that, that wants you to solve that problem. And that comes down to the passion. And if you don't have the passion, you don't have something like inside 
that's driving you to do this, whatever this is, you might have moderate amount of success, but you're not going to have wild success. Yeah, and, and maybe that sounds cliche or maybe it sounds overly simplified, but anybody who's been an entrepreneur, anyone who's gone through it, anyone who has sat there and like say, I don't know how I'm going to make payroll next week. Anyone who sat there and kind of, you know, said, if we don't get this deal signed, we are done. If you don't have that love for what you're doing, it's so easy just to pack up your tent and go home. So when I'm thinking as, as an investor, if I'm going to put money behind somebody, they have to have that really pure, that pure passion, but a wholesome passion. Whereas like, I want to do, I want to make the world a better place sort of passion. And if it's not me, then who is going to do this? They feel almost a moral obligation to accomplish their mission. Those are the guys that you want to go skiing with and you want to invest in and you want to hang out with. <laughs> and so those, that's what I look for. Those are my reflections on great entrepreneurs. Ah, that, that's amazing. That's, that's great. Thank you, Dan. Dan, before we go, we always love to ask all of our guests about some of their hobbies and some of the things that you've been up to outside of Green Dot recently. And I happen to know that you are in Austin and you moved to Austin before Elon Musk and Joe Rogan and everyone else. So maybe there's a hobby connection there with the Austin outdoors. You got to take a look at a little company called Moment Motors. That's my mother hobby. And I'm partnered with an amazing entrepreneur there. And what we're doing at Moment Motors is we are electrifying classic cars and classic replicas. So we have Porsche Speedster, Spider, Ford Cobras, Mercedes, DeLoreans. We've pulled the gas engines out and we've put in electric motors and Tesla batteries. And we've made these classic 30-year-old cars that never ran are quick and super fun. So that's one of my hobbies that I, I like to do in addition to, to being Green Dot. We'll provide a, a link to Moment Motors on the show notes. Uh, super. That'd be great. Well, then, thank you again. Truly honored that you join us. You know, I have no doubt that the audience is going to love this episode. And, you know, just like uh, I've told other guests, you're definitely a friend of the show, a, a friend of Wharton, UPenn, and you're invited to stop by campus, particularly once things get better. That sounds great. Miguel, I can't thank you enough for giving me all your time today. It's a real honor to be here. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 